0: folks welcome to episode 121 of the ubuntu security podcast i'm alex murray and this week we're going to do our usual roundup of vulnerability fixes for ubuntu releases from the past week we've got a fair bit to get through this week our 73 unique cves were addressed by the team and that includes some updates for things like BlueZ, nettle libxml2 uh, grub2 the kernel thunderbird and a few others as well Plus, I did want to have a look at a recent announcement by uh, the infrastructure team here at Canonical around uh, two-factor authentication coming to Ubuntu 1, or otherwise known as login.ubuntu.com. But first, let's get into uh, the updates for the past week. As I said, there were 33 Unix CVEs that were addressed by the team across the supported Ubuntu releases. And first up, we had an update for Blue Z. Now, I actually mentioned this back in last week's episode. Uh, that was for our standard support releases. Now, we've released this for the 1604 extended security maintenance users. Uh, a couple of different vulnerabilities here. One of them was uh, an actual flaw in the Bluetooth specification itself, where um, someone nearby could potentially um, pair to your device while you were trying to pair to a or pair to you when you were trying to pair to your trusted device. And the other one was a um, double free in the GAT tool as well. Uh, after that was an update for Nettle. Uh, two CVEs here were fixed uh, for our uh, regular support releases. So 1804 long-term support, 24 long-term support, 20.10, and 2104. Uh, this is the low level crypto library used by a lot of other packages, things like Crony, DNS Mask, uh, Light HTTPD, uh, QMU, Squid, and even Super uh, So, I actually had talked about this a few weeks ago, back in episode 112, and have covered it a few times on the podcast uh, over the last few years. And so, I wonder is um, someone taking a bit of a closer look at this library, given how closely it's used and finding a bunch of various vulnerabilities? In this case, uh, there was a Bleichenbacher style uh, side channel that you could use a padding oracle attack against, um, which was during the Andean conversion uh, for RSA-decrypted PKCS 1.5 data. Basically, uh, this would require an attacker to be able to run uh, their... Uh, to run their code on the same physical core as the victim process to then be able to use their side channel to uh, extract your plain text. Uh, so yeah, that one is a bit of a lower probability of being attacked by, but you know has been fixed. As well, uh, there was a change in, in the RSA uh, algorithm, which could possibly trigger a crash through the decryption of manipulated ciphertext. Uh, interesting to note, both of these obviously in RSA handling code, um, and the patches for these were quite invasive. Uh, so they're unlikely to get backported to the older releases like 6.04 extended security maintenance. So if you are on those and you are using Nettle and you're likely exposed to this kind of vulnerability, uh, you may want to upgrade to a later Ubuntu release so that you can get that fix. After that was an update for lib.xml2 going all the way back to our 14.04 extended security maintenance release and those since. In this case, eight different CVEs were rolled into this across those various releases and all of them, uh, the kind of thing you know, where crafted XML could trigger various crashes, uh, to therefore give it a denial of service attack um, or potentially cause uh, remote code execution as well. Grub 2 was after that. So six CVEs were covered here and they go back to our 804 long-term support release and those since. I actually talked about this or foreshadowed it back in episode 106. This is kind of the latest round of the boot hole style attacks that we saw from last year. Um, there, as I say, six different CVEs were rolled into this, um, and they've now finally gone out into the security pocket. So uh, these included vulnerabilities like the ability to load uh, arbitrary ACPI tables, a use after free in the RM mod uh, command, a buffer overflow in the command line parser, uh, the cutmem command being able to be uh, you know arbitrary access memory and bypass um, boot locking. There was a heat buffer overflow in the option parser and an out of bounds right in the menu rendering code as well. So all of these, the kind of thing that could allow you know, a local user uh, who has you know, privileged access so like root uh, to be able to cause um, grub to bypass secure boot. And so, as I said, I did talk about this back in episode uh, 106. Uh, we have got a page on the security team's knowledge base on the Ubuntu wiki, which I've got a link to in the show notes as well, if you want to know more about these vulnerabilities. Uh, but yeah, they have now been updated for Grub um, This release kind of includes now the the latest way that grub has been packaged in our later Ubuntu releases to ship the same EFI binary across all of our later releases so essentially this gets kind of copied from you know the most recent one where it's get built back to the older ones that then means that you get the latest uh, grub fixes there as well it's easier for us to maintain and you know we've got the same EFI binary as I say for purposes like uh, secure boot signing and all the rest of it Uh, so yeah watch out for that one an update as well for DoveCot, two different CVEs here for uh, the later releases. So 2004 long-term support, 2010 and 2104. Um, this was a start TLS plain text command injection vulnerability that could be triggered through SMTP plus uh, if a local attacker was able to write files to disk they could then supply their own keys that could be uh, validated using their own attacker supplied keys which they had written out to disk previously to be able to uh, validate their own json web tokens uh, and therefore log in as any other user if you are using OAuth 2 for uh, authentication there so yeah that could allow someone to access arbitrary emails but again they do need kind of the ability to write out files to disk of the local machine so unlikely to be uh, you know able to be fully triggered remotely that one After that was an update for uh, Apache. So this goes again all the way back to 1404 extended security maintenance and uh, a range of different issues here. Most of them denial of service type issues that could be triggered uh, via attackers issuing particular crafted requests and the like, uh, all causing uh, Apache to crash. OpenEXR was updated after that uh, for a couple of our older releases. So 1604 extended security maintenance and 804 long-term support. And again, this is a usual mix of issues that we see uh, for a library that's written in a memory unsafe language and is handling complex image formats. Uh, Most of these look like they were actually found by OSS Fuzz, the Google project that does, you know, wide scale fuzzing of various open source libraries. So that is cool to see that um, OpenEXR is now part of that. Uh, So, yeah, we are seeing more of a steady stream of vulnerabilities being found in OpenEXR nowadays as a result. Thunderbird was updated after this, and I know this is one that a lot of different users have been waiting for. This updates to the latest 78.11.0 release for Thunderbird, and again contains the usual mix of untrusted um, or usual mix of fixes for things like uh, untrusted content or web framework type issues that we see. Uh, These all come inherited to it from Firefox because it uses the same Gecko engine for rendering and the like. Uh, plus, there's some fixes for Thunderbird specific things like handling or proper handling of OpenPGP keys. Uh, there was a message signature, like a time of check to time of use style issue where it would write out signatures to disk. And then later on, it would use that signature to verify a message. So you could then you know, go and replace that signature on the disk. So a message would get uh, verified when perhaps it shouldn't have been. Uh, There was also kind of similarly, uh, like a user interface style issue where if you had a signed or encrypted message that then contained additional unsigned or unencrypted parts, they wouldn't be clearly identified in the user interface. So it wouldn't be obvious to you that perhaps someone had appended untrusted content to that or whatever. So that was fixed as well. And as I say, I didn't mention, uh, well, that goes back to 2004 long-term support, uh, that Thunderbird update. But uh, as I you know, talk about this now and record the podcast, we've also just released the update for 1804 long-term support users as well. So now everyone has the latest Thunderbird uh, 78.11 release. And I want to thank um, Olivia Tilloy from the uh, desktop team, otherwise known as uh, Osman, for working on these. So thank you uh, for getting those out. We really appreciate it. Similarly uh, you know from often a lot of what I talk about here is done by the security team Uh, as I say that one was done by the desktop team and this update that I'm going to talk about now was done by the kernel team because I am talking kernel updates. So we have updates for all of the uh, supported Ubuntu releases. Uh, I'm going to go through these kind of in version order. So up first is uh, the latest release 2104 that is based on the 5.11 kernel and there were 17 CVE fixes that were rolled into this but um, you know The most interesting one of these were uh, some fixes for the eBPF verifier so there was a case there where you could potentially bypass uh, the verification that it does and give you an out-of-bounds write primitive therefore you can you know overwrite arbitrary memory in the kernel and likely get code execution or uh, escalate or you know if you get code execution then you are you know running as root, so it's privilege escalation attack. There was also a race condition in the CAN BCM networking protocol Now there were various use after freeze that could be triggered through that and again this is the kind of thing that can be accessed as a unprivileged user so they could also potentially get code execution through that as well. Plus, there were a heap of other fixes that were rolled into these kernel updates. Uh, There were some fixes for the um, frag attacks. It's Wi-Fi or various attacks against Wi-Fi protocol and implementations. There were some other eBPF verifier fixes as well. Um, There was an SCTP socket race condition uh, that could lead to use after freeze and a few other things as well. Uh, Moving on, we also had an update for the 5.8 kernel that is used in the uh, 2104 release uh, and... sorry in the 20.10 release and is the hardware enablement kernel for our 20.04 release Uh, that was the same set of vulnerability fixes went into that plus uh, very similarly the 5.4 kernel used in the um, 20.04 long-term support release and the hardware enablement kernel for our 18.04 long-term support release that got roughly the same set of fixes as did the 5.10 OEM kernel uh, what else? We also had an update for uh, the for a five point three based kernel for um, our eight hundred and four long term support users, and that had just a single fix for the CAN BCM issue that I talked about. And finally, for our, uh, well some of our extended security maintenance users, we had an update for the 4.15 kernel in the 18.04 long-term support release, which is uh, the supported kernel for 16.04 ESM. And this included those two high-priority um, vulnerabilities that I talked about before, the CAN-BCM uh, protocol issue plus the eBPF Verify out-of-bounds right. So you are covered for those as well. All right, so that's it for this week in security updates. So the other thing that I wanted to cover in this week's episode was a blog post that I saw um, by some of our infrastructure team talking about bringing two-factor authentication to the Ubuntu One service. And so uh, this is what you use for authenticating to things like discourse.ubuntu.com or Launchpad or the Ubuntu forums or for publishers when they're accessing the Snap store. It's kind of our, um, you know, well, it is our single sign-on service uh, that is uh, there. And traditionally you log into that with an email address and, uh, or, and a password. And there has been like a closed beta for doing um, two factor authentication to this for quite a while, but it hasn't been open uh, widely to the public. It is the kind of thing that we do use internally. So all the canonical employees are required to have two-factor authentication. But again, this hasn't been open to the public, uh, basically for um, kind of concerns around usability, basically. Uh, So this is the kind of thing that uh, allows you to use, like say, a a TOTP, um, time-based one-time authentication code as a second factor. So that is things like the Google Authenticator app on your phone, or maybe you've got a desktop app like 1Password or others for doing that or you can even use things like a hardware token like Yubikey supports um, TOTP as well. So you've got lots of ways that you can add your second factor. But again, this hasn't been um, sort of widely available because of fears around uh, basically recovery of your account if you lose that second factor uh, token. Uh, This has been supported since 2014, as I said, but because Ubuntu 1 doesn't really store any identifiable information about you, all it stores is a name, an email address, and a username, Uh, we can't easily verify an account uh, or the account holder if you do lose your two-factor authentication device. The idea is we want this to be robust even in the event that your uh, email address is compromised. And so uh, the way that's been worked into this is obviously some backup codes. So you can print a list of backup codes to be used, plus there have been changes to kind of the login process to make you regularly exercise those backup codes as well. The idea there is to make sure that, you know, it's one thing that when you set up two factor that you print out some backup codes and you store them somewhere, but if you never have to actually use them, odds on you'll forget where you stored that piece of paper or you'll, uh, you know, lose it or something like that. So the idea of by making you use them semi-regularly while you've still got your original, you know, single or your second factor device means that you can then easily generate new ones if you need to, Uh, but it does mean then that you are constantly or semi-regularly reminded of where you've got your backup codes and, you know, you then make sure that in the future you don't go, oh no, when you actually need it, uh, where did I put that? So that's some cool stuff to see. So, yeah, I thought that that was interesting. Uh, if you have seen anything or anything interesting uh, that uh, has piqued your interest in Ubuntu security, make sure you get in touch because this is the end of this week's episode. So, as usual, if you do want to get in contact with us, we are at security.ubuntu.com. We do hang out in the Ubuntu security channel on the libera.chat IRC network. There is a security section on discourse.ubuntu.com that you can post to after authenticating to our uh, Ubuntu 1. Plus, we are on Twitter at ubuntu underscore sec as well well. All right. So thanks everyone for listening again for another week. It's been great doing this all again for you. Remember until next week, keep calm because we've got your back and I'll speak to you soon. Bye.